0: And good morning, Terranova. Can you hear me? Morning? Morning. Hear me all right? All right. Well, I know you guys are in Song of Solomon. I mean Psalms. We're going through the Psalms. And we have a little bit more to go with the Psalms. We're going to be in the Psalms until the end of August when we jump back into Matthew. Uh, But I'm excited, always excited, to preach through a psalm because the Psalms are debatably my favorite book in the Bible, books in the Bible, and as we've been learning about the Psalms, it's the prayer book of the Bible, and while we learn a lot about God through the Psalms, it's not primarily the place we go to hear from God, and hear me on this, but it's the place we go to speak to Him. It's why I think we live in the Psalms. We see the raw emotions of men and women who cry out to the Lord from the heart. They speak to God in prayer. And in that way, we learn about who he is as we engage with him in prayer. The psalms have songs in them. They have wisdom, psalms of wisdom. They have psalms of imprecatory, which have to do with crying out to God for justice. They have messianic psalms, which have to do with awaiting the promised Messiah that the Jewish people were waiting for uh, when they were written and compiled before Jesus had come. And we know that a third of the psalms are what are called lament psalms. And lament psalms have to do with grieving. And when we experience something difficult in life and we grieve, the psalms can be a great place to go to see how people have grieved before us and how we can speak to God in our grief. But not only in our grief can we go to the lament psalms, we can go to them in order to prepare for times of grieving. Because the longer we live in this life before eternity, we know that life is hard. There's a reason that a third of the psalms are lament psalms. Life's difficult, and we can learn how to grieve and lament well. But the psalms don't end in lament. They end in praise. Okay? The last five psalms, 146 to 150, verse 1 and the last verse in those psalms all say, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, 146 to 50. The Psalms end in praise. And I think that's teaching us something too, which is that a life of prayer, please hear this, a life of prayer ends in praise. Whether you see all your prayers answered the way you think they should or the timing that you think they should, whether much of it makes sense, a life of prayer, a life of talking to God and going to God, as the foundation of our life, and speaking with him, praying to God, it will, it will end in praise. A little bit more of a background for the Psalms. The Psalms are the place we can go to express our hearts and our thoughts and our feelings in whatever season we're in to the Lord. And we're going to see that in today's psalm, psalm 16 so i am going to read that for you we don't have slides for you today so if you could get your bible out or your phone and get that bible app or how whatever you use to get to the scriptures if you don't have one you can ask someone next to you maybe they'll help you out psalm 16 right smack dab in the middle of your bible just open it up and you'll probably find the psalms and we're looking at psalm 16 Here's what God's word says. A mictum of David, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. It's God's word. What a beautiful psalm. And you know what? I can't cover it all, I don't think so fairly, in one message, so this is part one of Psalm 16 this Sunday. Today we're going to talk about how God is our foundation for life and death. Today we're going to talk about how God is our foundation for life. Got to come back next week for the death part, so there you go. So let's let's jump in a little bit to Psalm 16, a little bit of a background for this specific psalm. If you notice in the beginning, before verse 1 it says a mictum of David, that's a superscription, and there are many superscriptions in the psalms. They're part of the original. They weren't put there later by commentators as a title. A lot of the context given in those superscriptions are part of the uh, original. And it says, a mictum of David. And I know we all know what a mictum is, right? Everyone at once now. A mictum is, okay. I didn't know what a mictum was until I looked it up. And I'm not entirely sure what a mictum is now because there's four theories about what a mictum is. And in case you're interested, I'm going to go by them very quickly. Here's the four theories about what a mictum is, a mictum of David. Here's theory number one. Mictum is derived from a verb that means to hide, as in there's something hidden or mysterious in this psalm telling the reader that when you read this, understand there's going to be things that you don't understand. As in parts of this psalm, reading it especially before Christ when it says, you will not leave my soul in Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. The resurrection of Christ, that's this hidden truth in the scripture. So perhaps it means a mysterious psalm, something hidden in it. Here's theory number two. The word mictum is derived from the verb to cut or to write, simply meaning this psalm is written by David. That's theory number two. Theory number three for mictum. I know you guys are on the edge of your seat. Number three, the word comes from a noun that means gold. And the the person saying a mictum of David. This psalm, there's 150 of them, but pay attention to this one, it's gold. It's really good. And some of the commentators even said it's possible that this psalm, along with a couple other mictums were put in the temple, the original temple, in gold letters. It's a very special psalm, it's gold. Theory number four, last one. Miktum is a musical term. And remember the psalms, many of them they would sing, either individually or together. And so a miktum perhaps, was some kind of musical note in our, our musical people could understand this better, I was trying to find a way to say it, of a, like a tune that the people would play their instruments to in order for people to, to sing along. So that's theory number four, which I tend to lean towards about what a mictum is. Either way, there you go. A mictum of David. A little bit more background here. It's an individual psalm. There are psalms that are communal, and there are psalms that are individual. We are individual people with individual relationships and individual personal relationships with God. We're also people that are meant to be part of a body. Body of Christ, community, communal, both of those. There are individual psalms, there are communal psalms. This psalm is intensely personal. It's individual. You notice when you read through it, in Psalm 16, David says, my, 12 times, my Lord, my delight, My lips, my chosen portion, my cup, my lot, my heart, my right hand, my heart, my whole being, my flesh, my soul. Twelve times. My, 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 my. Personal. It's this personal psalm to the Lord from David. But I want to point out, and you got to wait till next week for this, it ends with your twice. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, are pleasures forever. But we see this intensely personal psalm that has this dramatic end with focus on the Lord. So here's, let's jump into the psalm itself. Here's the main idea today. I know there's no slide, so I'm going to say this many times. Here it is. Main idea. My foundation, my personal, my foundation is God in life and in death. Got it? My foundation is God for life And death. So for our roadmap today, we're going to talk about those first two. My foundation is God. There you go. Secondly, for life. And then next week, we'll talk about the fact that he's our foundation in death as well. My foundation is God. Start there. We see that in verses 1 to 4. Let's hear it again. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god will multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. My foundation is God. That's what David was saying. That's what we can say. And I see in these, four, these first four verses that God is our foundation. Though we feel angsty, because I believe David was feeling angsty when he wrote this. We'll talk about it. He can be our foundation, though I feel angsty. Secondly, though I don't deserve it. And finally, though others may opt to worship and serve other gods. God can be our foundation even when we feel angsty, even though we don't deserve it, and even when other people pursue other gods. So, first of all, God can be our foundation even though we feel angsty. What do I mean by angsty? Angsty, anxious, feelings of insecurity. Anybody feel that before? I do pretty often. David says, Preserve me, O God. Now look, there's no context here given that David is being hunted down by Saul, like it says in some other Psalms, or maybe his son is trying to pursue him and kill him and take take the throne because David was, was king. A lot of other psalms give that kind of context of look, David's in immediate danger, and here's where he wrote this psalm. We don't see that here. It could be that he was in immediate danger, but it's not stated. And I believe, I agree with a lot of the commentators that were saying that David simply had feelings of insecurity and of angst. So he cries out to God in verse 1, preserve me, O God. You don't have to have Saul chasing you with a spear to pray that prayer. Does Anybody have someone trying to kill them? You can talk to me. I don't know if I can help. I have a criminal justice background, but I've really never used it. But if you, if you are in immediate danger, you can cry out to God. But you don't have to be an immediate danger, an immediate threat, immediate crisis, in order to cry out to God. Do you ever feel insecure? Do you ever feel uncomfortable, maybe, about your life and wondering about what the future holds? He cries out in this feeling of angst and anxiety, Lord, preserve me, oh God. We can cry out to God when we're not in immediate crisis. I want to say, though, you can cry out to God when you are immediate crisis and I have a couple quick stories. Anna and I just got back from our honeymoon and there were a couple times, yep, there were a couple times that I felt that I was in immediate danger. So I'm gonna give you three, there were four, but I'm gonna give you three of them, okay? Here's the first one. First day we get there we're about to go snorkeling and we are both very excited to go swimming. Just main reason we went to Vieques, this little place island in Puerto Rico. Lots of snorkeling. Day one Goggles are on, shallow water. I go head first, because that's what I want to do. And what do I see? Immediately, first thing right in front of me, what I think is a stingray. (laughs) I'm told a little later it's a manta ray, and you're probably okay. But my first thought was, stingray, Steve Irwin, I have no chance. (laughs) I have no chance. And that set the stage for the rest of the time in the water for the trip, where I'm thinking, there are these things in here. That can kill me. So, felt in danger, definitely praying right away. I was like, all right, God, I haven't forgotten about you. Please preserve my life, I'm in danger. Then we had people tell us that there are barracudas in the water. And we wanted to swim out to an island about a quarter, half a mile away from shore to go snorkel behind that island. And before that, these two people on the island, very friendly, were like, hey, come talk to us, whatever. I was like, okay, okay. And they tell us there's barracudas in the water. And so it took us seven, eight days to build up the courage to finally swim to the island that I thought we were going to do on day one or two. And the whole time I'm swimming, I'm saying, preserve me, oh God. You know, don't you need me a little bit? You know, I'm at Tara. I'm just getting married. Please don't let me die. So when you're in danger, you can do that. And then third one, I'll give you one more. When we were coming out of a store in part of the city, northern part of the island, there's a sidewalk, normal sidewalk, store, we come outside, and I hear a very loud noise, and there were, very, there were a lot of wild animals in the island. Cats, dogs, horses, roosters, chickens, making all kinds of noise all the time. And I walk out of the door with Anna, and I look to my right, and there are two horses about 10 feet away gall- sprinting at us. And we barely got out of the way, and I'm praying, Lord, please let me survive this honeymoon. Preserve my life. Okay. The point of all that is, I like sharing things, right? Uh, about life experiences. But the point here is we can cry out to God for security, for help when we're in immediate danger and when we're not. All the time, he wants us to be able to call out to him. David says, preserve me, O God. Why? For in you I take refuge. God is our refuge. But this is a personal psalm. And I can't make, I, I wish I could, I really do, and I pray, I pray for you guys and gals, I do, but I can't force any of you, I really can't, to make God your refuge in your life. I can't do that. In fact, I have a hard enough time myself at time when I think about when I'm feeling insecure or feeling angsty about life, I'll have those thoughts of, oh, okay, but, right, but bank account or but family will help me or but close friends or romantic relationship or, or you know, academia or, or a job, or bury yourself in a hobby, those are the kinds of things that we can easily get sucked into and not make God our refuge. Isn't that true? Preserve me, O oh God, for I take ref- you and you I take refuge. Make God your refuge. Make it personal. None of those things I mentioned family friends, money, job none of those are bad things but how easily we can make them into our refuge, into our idol, into the things we're living for. None of those are lasting or the right refuge. Make God your refuge. Okay, we can do that. God can be our refuge whether we're feeling angsty and though, secondly, though we don't deserve it. We see that in verses 2 to 3. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David's saying, Lord, you're my refuge. Preserve me, even though I don't deserve it. You're my Lord, and yet I have no good apart from you. He's saying, you're my God, you alone, you alone, yet I bring nothing to the table, yet unearned. That song we just sang, what I got, not what I earned, right? What I deserve, I got so much more in God being my foundation, in God being my life, in God having the relationship with us that he wants to have. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We bring nothing to the table. As you cannot make the sun in the sky shine brighter, you can't make God any more glorious than he already is. You just can't do it. You don't add anything. And yet he wants that relationship with us. And you know what? We can talk all day, and we will a lot of times talk about how can we be effective witnesses, missionaries in this world? How do we reflect God to those who don't know him and to each other? We can talk about that all the time. But here's one great way to do it. Believe that you bring nothing to the table to earn God's affection, God's love, or the fact that God is the foundation of your life. You didn't make that happen on your own. It's a gift. And when you believe that, when you believe that you didn't earn it, that you didn't bring anything to the table, that you can't lose it by yourself either. There's a kind of freedom that comes over you that people notice. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty. And people notice that. He says, God, you alone are my God. In you I take refuge, though it's undeserved. He knows that every good thing that he had and that he was, every good an unselfish deed, every unselfish thought, such as delighting in the saints of God, like he mentions, is from the Lord. He says, as for the saints, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Something supernatural, it might not always seem supernatural, but something supernatural happens when you give yourself to God you also are giving yourself to the people of God. And God, as he changes that heart of yours, it's not just towards him and seeing him rightly and starting to dispel all those lies and all those wrong ideas you've heard or believed about God over the years that he hasn't actually revealed in his word. And you begin to love him more and more. You also begin to love and to care for the people of God. The excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You know, we might not feel excellent all the time, Saints of God, those that belong to God, that's what a saint is. There's nothing super special that we've done, again, to become a saint. It simply means to belong to God, set apart to God. God does that. And we might not always feel very special, but God calls us his treasured possession. And while some of us, while all of us, have a lot of sanctification, which means just becoming more like Jesus, that work that he does in us, we all have a long ways to go. Some of us have a longer ways to go and might be more difficult to love and to care about. But he calls all of us to treat each other well, to care about each other. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Paul will say in Galatians 6, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Especially. David's saying, You are my God. And if those are your people, they're my people too. And while we can't give anything to God, while we can't make God any better or more glorious, or help God, he doesn't need anything, his people do. And as we can serve and as we can give and as we can care for the people of God, that's also caring and loving God himself. Remember Jesus said to Peter, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep feed my sheep. Care for my people, then. John Calvin says, this passage, therefore, teaches us that there's no sacrifice more acceptable to God than when we sincerely and heartily connect ourselves with the society of the righteous. With the people of God. Right here. And all over the world. People that belong to God. You know, I've heard many people say, Something to the effect of, and you've probably heard this too. I love God, but I can't stand the people of God. You heard that? God's great, but Christians. Oh. You guys have heard that before? I've heard that a lot of times. But you know what? It's not a really good idea to say that. We can say it kidding. It's really not a good idea. Why? Because would you tell that to somebody? You know, God calls the church his bride. And let me tell you, there's no more surefire way... For somebody to get on the bad side of somebody than to say to them, you're okay, maybe even you're great, but I can't stand your spouse. How will that go? It shouldn't go well. And it shouldn't go well when people say that about God and God's people. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David is making God his foundation, even though he feels angsty, even though he doesn't deserve it, and he knows all good things that he has and is comes from God, including his desire to serve and to connect with the people of God. And also, although others may opt for other gods, and we see that in verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god will multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. What is David talking about? People that worshiped other gods would sacrifice to their gods and goddesses. And what they would sacrifice would be animals and awfully also commonly people. And they would sacrifice those animals and those people and they would take some of the blood of those offerings and those sacrifices and they would drink it. Drink offering is what some of the other religions and beliefs would do as they worshiped their idols. And David's saying, I am not going to endorse those practices. I'm not going to endorse the worship of false gods. In fact, I'm not even going to say their names. The people would, not only with the sacrifices and the drink offerings, they would say the names of their gods or goddesses over and over again as an act of worship. And David's saying, I'm not going to participate in that. I'm not going to say their names. I'm not going to endorse or encourage people to do that. We can care about people. We can we can. Devote our lives to serving each other and other people and getting involved without ever trying to endorse or encourage the sin of following and worshiping something, anyone, other than God himself. It's a story of tragedy. And the reason we don't want to do that, not only because of our commitment and love for God, that we don't want to worship or encourage others to worship false gods, but also because the story of anyone who is worshiping anything or anyone other than God will end in tragedy. And shouldn't we not want that for other people? Our idols will demand more and more and more of our time, of our resources, of our affection, to get less and less back, and it ends in tragedy and bitterness. John Calvin said, Unbelievers who lavish and squander away their substance upon their idols Not only lose all the gifts and offerings which they present to them, but also by provoking the wrath of God against themselves, are continually increasing the amount of their miseries. Now, this isn't a a sermon about idols, but believe it—believe it when I tell you—we don't see people generally, or at least around here, I haven't lately seen people falling down to statues or idols uh, made by hand. But that happens all over the world, and I will tell you more about that as we talk about some of the missions and activities we have of serving and encouraging and supporting people uh, that are planting churches over the world. You're going to hear more about that. It happens. But people today serving and worshiping idols, including ourselves at times, when I, as those things I mentioned of the money or the family or the friends or anything that we put above God, will end in bitterness if we make that a God and not a gift from God. And while we might not have Moses ground up our idols and put it in water and make us drink it bitterly like he did with the Israelites with the golden calf, it nevertheless will go down bitter. The sorrows of those who run after another god will multiply. My foundation is God. God can be our foundation for life and for death, for all of our life and for death. Let's talk about the life part. We see that in verses 5 through 8. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken." So we're going to talk for the rest of this message about how God can be the foundation for our life. And I see in these three verses that David's saying he can be our foundation as we choose contentment in him and as we choose to concentrate on him. That's how he can be our foundation. We choose him. We choose to be content in the Lord and we choose to concentrate on him. So let's talk about this chosen contentment. There was a professor at Liberty that every time someone would say to him, hope you have a good day or or have a good day you know people say that have a good day have a good day of course he would always reply by saying i will because i'll choose to and that irritated me a little bit cuz he would always say it <laughs> but i appreciate that and i respect what he was saying and i understand it because he's saying i'm going to have a good day not because things are going to line up the way i hope or because i'm going to a you know a sports event or something I want to go to. I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to be content because I'm going to choose to be content. And he would say that every time someone said, have a good day. I will because I'll choose to. How do we choose to? Because we make God our life. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, verse 5. You hold my lot. You're my life. David could have said the crown is my life. He was king. But the jewels of that crown took the bottom shelf in his life. He could say, as Paul said in in Colossians 3, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Not part of your life, not an aspect of your life, not a means to an end of your life. When Christ, who is your life. David's saying, Lord, you're my life, and you've given me, and he's choosing to say this, you've given me a good life and a good future. You hold my lot, as in everything I have, everything I'm going to have is from you. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. When the Israelites would hear this, they're going to think about the 12 tribes and the promised land that was allotted to them based on their tribe. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The place that God has given me to dwell is good, and I'm going to choose to be content with it. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And for us, we don't have that allotted lines as tribes of Israel, but we do have lives that God has given to us, and we can choose to be content. We are called to be people that are content. But can I tell you something? Confess, I'm not always content. Am I the only one? I'm not always content. Sometimes I'm bored and I'm not content. Sometimes I will feel pain and I'm not content with it. Sometimes I'm jealous of someone else, of what they have or what's going on in their life, and I don't feel content. Sometimes I believe the lie that God is holding out on me, that God doesn't care, and I'm not content. Anybody else? So here's what I want to say to you and to myself. Our life is not accidental. And what God has given us And what God withholds from us, in every different season of our lives, is intentional. And we can thank God for the things he gives and the things he doesn't, knowing full well that he knows better than we do and he knows what he's doing. And secondly, that the greatest gift of all is not what we might think we need or want, But the greatest gift for any one of us, creations made by God, is God himself. The greatest gift is God himself. So when David says, I have a beautiful inheritance, when you think of inheritance, you might think of land, money, possessions. David's not thinking of those things. And neither do Christians have to think of those things. When we say, what is our inheritance? It's not only new heavens, new earth, and all those things thrown in. Our inheritance is God himself, and it's a beautiful inheritance. David will say in the very next Psalm, Psalm 17, as for me, personal, I will behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied in your likeness, in God himself. Psalm 24, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. What do we have to look forward to? What's our inheritance? God himself. There's a, I'm going to paraphrase a quote from David Clarkson, an English minister in the 1600s. Here's what he says. Not only heaven and earth are ours, but God himself. For all the earth is but a point compared with the vastness of the heavens. And the heavens themselves are but a point compared with God. Our portion fills heaven and earth and is infinitely above heaven and below earth and beyond both. We have more than all the glory of the kingdoms of earth. Christ has given us more than the devil offered him. Did you hear that? God himself. And the reason we get God is, again, not because we did something to earn it, but because Jesus is the only one, fully God, fully man, that never made another person or thing into an idol to be served and worshiped and longed for more than the true God himself. And he sacrificed himself on the cross in our place, substitution for us in order to bring us, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He brought us to him. He reunited us. He gave us that beautiful inheritance. Would you choose to remember that and choose to be content? But to do that, you need to choose, a lot of chooses, to concentrate on him. I see a chosen concentration in verses 7 through 8, and here's where we're going to leave it in this psalm. Chosen concentration. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. You know, nighttime, when you set your head on the pillow and you're about to go to sleep, I'm sure some of you are the kinds of people that you put your head on the pillow and you're out. And I'm jealous of that, just just (laughs) jealous of that. But many of you are those more like me that you have to twist and turn for a while and it takes a little bit to fall asleep. But let me tell you, as David says here, in the night also my heart instructs me. Nighttime, that time before you fall asleep, doesn't have to be wasted time. Like I've wasted time and time and time and time again doing, going down just countless fail army YouTube videos and, and whatever and, and, and sports highlights. Not that that's a bad thing. But I've wasted so much time. It can be night school. It was night school for David, at least sometimes, where he's saying this is the time that I can hear from God. This is the time that I can... with." Eyes of faith look for God above all the other voices and things I've seen throughout the day as I process the day. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Here's that chosen concentration in verse 8. His mind fixed on God, a kind of God consciousness throughout the day and throughout the night. We can focus on him. We can concentrate on him. But I don't want to say to do that just because you should, but we should. Okay? But not just because we should, but because we can. And because he thinks about us. Did you know that? David will say in Psalm 40, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord thinks about me. And in Psalm 139, he will say, how precious also are your thoughts toward me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, there'd be more than the sand. God thinks about you. Why should we think about him? He thinks about us. Every good thing he's given is from him. Our life in his hands. He's thinking about the Lord throughout the day, throughout the night. And finally, in verse 8, Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Whether you're focusing on God or not, he's there. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Paul will say in Acts 17 that he, God, is not far from any one of us. He's here. And when we focus on him, there's not anything in all creation that can rattle a soul that is truly focused, concentrated, on God himself, anchored in him, thinking about him. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts in you. He's the foundation for David's life. Is he the foundation for ours? All the days of our lives? Whether or not we get all of our questions answered or not, whether or not all of it makes sense or not, is he the one we are fixated on? Is he the foundation for our life does he is he the one you run to with those feelings of insecurity those feelings of angst let me close with a quick story I heard from a pastor in New Jersey not too long ago he said there was a five-year-old girl lost in the woods and she didn't know how to get home and she was there for a while and she was scared and she heard something and she turned around and what did she see she saw her dad approaching her. And instantly, she had an overwhelming sense of relief and of comfort. Why? It wasn't because dad was walking towards her with a map to get him out. It wasn't because dad was driving there and she knew there was a vehicle to get them out of there. She felt relief and comfort and secure in that moment because she knew her father. That was enough. Do you know your Heavenly Father? Is He the foundation of your life? Every day of your life. Is He the one you go to when you have questions? When seasons change and things happen in your life? Do you go to Him when you're confused? Do you go to Him when you're scared? Do you go to Him with your hopes, with your dreams, with your life? Do you go to Him when you think about death? which we'll talk about more next week. Jesus, the foundation for our life and our death. Let's pray together. Lord, there are so many other things and people that we turn to. When we feel anxious, when we feel scared, when we feel uncomfortable, as we think about something in our life, or even when we don't have something specific, we're just... Feeling anxious, and God so often will turn to something or to someone that's not you, and we'll go there for comfort and we'll go there for refuge. But God, those things should not be our refuge. Can't hold our soul. They are not the ones that made us and know us and will guide us. Lord, may you be our foundation all of our life, in every season, with every doubt, with every seemingly unanswered prayer. May you be the one we turn to. May you be our refuge. And God, may you grow our heart, our love for each other, for your church, for your bride. Would you draw us closer to your heart, which is for your people, for your world, and for the world coming. God, may you rest our hopes and our dreams in yourself, our beautiful inheritance. God, if we only knew, if we only knew, would you continue to teach us? And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.